Hey friends, before the show I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop.terracottadistribution.com, you'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan, from Ho Shao Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, aka the Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly, and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com and enter the discount code POFN. 10 that's p-o-f-n-1-0 this gives podcast on fire network listeners 10 percent off at checkout the discount code is p-o-f-n-10 and visit shop.terracottadistribution.com for more and let's get on with the show Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 50 on Volcano High. And I'm sure Korean cinema could do a violence in school expose with the best of them. But for 2001's Volcano High, priorities were a little bit different. They put actors and stuntmen on wires to depict uh, their martial arts powers uh, as conflicts between teachers and students is uh, heightened. uh, And in this episode, we therefore take a look at uh, the action comedy, I suppose. Uh, 2001's Volcano High. We're going back to um, classic territory in terms of uh, release year at the very at the very least. This is uh, right smack in the middle of the Korean new wave, and uh, you had uh, you know dark comedies and horror comedies, the revenge trilogy, and Volcano High. <laughs> so you had just about anything you could you could want, I suppose. Uh, and uh, we're going to look at it. My name is Kenny B, and with me is Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid, who uh, probably revisited this. Uh, but uh, did, is this like you watched this in 2005 for the first time, or did, was Volcano High like a late, uh, late one for you? Volcano High was a late one for me. I, you know, I pride myself in hopefully being able to say I've seen most of the important New Korean films a long time ago. I avoided Volcano High because I was aware of what it was about. Don't ask me why. It just it didn't at that time appeal. So I actually saw another of his films that we're going to talk about at a later stage first and then was taken enough by it to move back to Volcano High and be absolutely shocked at the difference. So it's almost the, the exact opposite of your experience. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, I mean, uh, I'm having my first viewings of the director uh, via this movie and the latter movie we're going to discuss in the next episode. But you knew Volcano High was out there, even if you didn't follow a- actively that Korean cinema output. But you know, knew Volcano High was some kind of action thing. Yeah, I knew it was actually, I knew it was sort of otherworldly. And I, I was aware of what most thoughts of it were. And I just, it was one of those things at that time DVDs here were stupidly expensive and I ended up, you know, going for the things that really grabbed me in essence and spent 20 quid on them rather than something that I thought might be an also ran, even though I wasn't sure. So I I sort of avoided it just because there was stuff I wanted more at the time. 
Yeah, and eventually uh, Volcano High was a UK uh, title of uh, of note, and uh, we even got a version uh, uh, over here. And uh, nowadays, uh, it's not stupidly expensive to get um, uh, to get any version of it. Really, maybe, maybe the the old Korean limited edition, whatever they did with the limited edition DVD of this. Uh, uh, I, I would assume that is uh, quite expensive, but uh, that's another story. I would imagine probably more than likely non-existent most of the time, really, as well as most of those things from that time are. Like it was probably like a box of rainwater or something. That was the limited edition DVD because it rains all the time in this movie. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. I wish they'd do all that stuff again. You know, I miss it. I miss it. <laughs> they were creative. I mean, my sassy girl had uh, multiple limited editions, but uh, one of them was apparently an egg. Yeah, totally, totally. Quite a collector's item by now, but uh, not for me because I didn't like my sassy girl that much. Hey, oh, I'm being very edgy tonight, but I didn't. I simply didn't. But that's okay. But it's, that's completely your prerogative. And it's also completely your fault, Ken. Yes, okay. Well, you know, each to their own. It's fine. I do like her, but uh, I've liked her in other movies. Okay, you've just you've just recovered that. We're okay now. Yeah. That's good. I mean, a man was Superman, assassination, and so forth. Like, you know, she can do no wrong. Except in my sense of God. Fair point, fair point. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get into it. Some um, contact information, first of all. Uh, we might as well mention uh, me and Paul uh, did an audio commentary for the Mondo Macabro Blu-ray release of Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning it again is because plug, plug, plug. But also, Mondo Macabro have uh, changed their website address. By now, they're no longer on the big cartel. Uh, in the big cartel family uh, of the websites. Their new website is mondo-macabro.com and that's where you can find their titles, including uh, Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death. And it's their, their the, uh, uh, Blu-ray store as well. So uh, uh, check it out. We uh, That uh, commentary is going to be out there, as Paul has informed us of uh, before, is that uh, Mondo have uh, that particular title for... Uh, seven years i mean uh, by now it's been out for like yep. ha- half a year or seven eight nine months so uh, uh, the clock is ticking but it's not going to go out of print this year the rest of the contact information uh, this is what's korean cinema and uh, we're up to 50 episodes and they're doing well and happy to do it and we're not celebrating in any special way we simply have picked a movie from 2001 that's all that's as celebratory as i get because uh, I'm not that kind of person. I don't like loud noises and celebrations. <laughs> so just keep it off my doorstep. That's that's good. I'll just throw in I don't like Christmas. So there you go. You're, you're, you're with the Grouches. We're fine. We're fine. Excellent. Excellent. Positive thinking. L- get all our shows, the back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema on podcastonfire.com, along with uh, all our other shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old. We talk about uh, Japanese cinema, Lisa cinema. We also do bonus episodes uh, every now and again. Uh, we, we have it in pipeline currently, but it's maybe it's out by now. But uh, I did like going back into our Japan on Fire show and producing new shows and going as far back in animation history to the first feature-length animated movie from Japan, which is a black-and-white movie from 1955 for children. That is a war propaganda film. Whoa. It's called Momotaro Sacred Sailors. Uh, it's an important movie because uh, it was the first feature length one. It was uh, said to be lost for many years, rediscovered in the 80s, and by now they've maintained their, their, their print quality to the extent that it got a brand new spanking uh, high definition remaster for Blu-ray release and so forth. So that was neat going back in time and looking at 
war propaganda from from the from Japan's side at the very tail end of the war effort as well because it came out in 1945. Not many people could see it because they bombed the crap out of the city anyway, uh, out of Tokyo. So it really came and went and uh, was thought to be destroyed, but uh, ultimately wasn't. Uh, so we've done that and we've done the first color uh, review of the first color animated movie from japan a movie called legend of the white snake or white snake enchantress which is based on a chinese folk tale of uh, legend of the white snake uh so i'm i'm, I'm quite surprised um maybe maybe it's too general of a plot to think of now but it seems like it's so known across asia that uh, perhaps korea have or korea will go into a um, white snake or white snake green snake Chinese folktale adaptation because you can do a lot of special effects stuff and put some pretty ladies at the forefront. But uh, I don't know if Korea have expressed any interest in Chinese folklore as such. But you know, you never know. Not noticeably that you were aware of, but things things always change, you know. And I mean, there are increasingly, you know, films based on on Chinese and Japanese novels, and it all moves in a direction. So you never know. You never know. It, it's almost um, it, almost continually produced that tale, whether in live action or animation. I mean, Choi Hak did a movie called Green Snake in, in the nineties, and then last year in China there was an animated movie called White Snake. So it uh, it sen- tends to pop up. But, but in Japan, for their first color animated movie, they chose a Chinese folk tale, and I, and I remember they they said that they wanted to bridge uh, bridge the sort of relations a little bit by doing a Chinese folktale and uh, this was in the fifth, uh, 50s so um, like a valid friendly attitude to have in production so totally totally so that's why I enjoyed going into Japan on Fire and do those too anyway look us up on social uh, media uh, uh, click the buttons at the top of our website to get to Facebook to our Twitter feed to our iTunes feed and to our Instagram account as well and uh, do join the facebook discussion group we post obviously the shows show updates and uh, do uh, friendly discussions and such so um, don't be a stranger come in and say hello and uh, let us know what you thought of whatever show you listen to um, including uh, what's korean cinema that would be appreciated uh, so i'll gonna just skip a few plugs and go right into paul's plug so what kind of website do you run sir what's it called where I run a Korean film website called com. You can find me at com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. If you go to the website, the Facebook and Twitter links are just below the sort of news items on the right-hand side of the homepage. So rather than me spouting, you know, twitter.com, even though I just have, um, they're all there. You go to the site, you'll find reviews, you'll find transcriptions of interviews um, I've done with directors cast and crew and you'll find transcriptions of talks i've given around the country when we were actually allowed to go around the country so you know hopefully there's some stuff for everybody there are of course links to what's korean cinema on the home page as well etc etc go and have a look enjoy yourself so that begs question uh, the director of volcano how uh, hi kim tae kyun has he ever come come to the uk no not as yet the whole thing with the, the festivals is they went from being really big, big, big to going more, I guess, niche, specifically to promote lesser known stuff. So a lot of big name, older, older directors like um, Bei Chang-ho, Lee Jang-ho have come 
but current or more recent directors have more been new names that have sort of made a big splash that year. So they're looking to promote them as the the new ones to come. So you can never tell, but he hasn't he hasn't shown up as yet. And I would actually quite enjoy it. Well, I enjoy talking to them all, but we'll see. We'll see. As long as things are back to normal by November, you never know. Uh, what about the actor Jiang Hyuk, the young actor in Volcano High? Has he been? Uh, is he too big to be invited to to the UK festival circuit, or what do you know about that? Not really too big. I mean, they've had you know we've had Lee Byung Hun over here, you know, so it doesn't get much bigger than him. It's just a case of what they're really trying to promote in terms of the Korean Film Festival. They see that they have more themes going now. So last year it was very much female driven, and again a lot a lot of new names so he hasn't been i i would actually like to talk to him because he's you know as we're about to find out he's done himself quite proud over the years but you can never tell from one year to the next who's going to show and who isn't excellent well uh, before we get uh, going here i thought i'd um, tease a little and tell you all uh, what's uh, coming up in the discussion uh, here in the volcano high episode and each section will of course have a timestamp in the show post so you can navigate uh, to it uh, first we talk a mixture of Volcano How and how it came into the marketplace in 2001, being this effects-heavy picture and all of that. And uh, we talk of its reception and a bit on uh, director Kim Tae-kyun's uh, career. And we then conclude the episode by reviewing the movie. And it is Volcano High from uh, 2001. And plot uh, goes as follows. Uh, the character of Kim Kyung-so, played by Jung Hyuk, uh, he was the lead in The Flu, which we've uh, covered here on the show. Here he has blonde hair, so he's uh, younger and, uh, uh, you know, he uh, carries a different demeanor, I suppose, <laughs> versus The Flu. <laughs> this is a different type of character. Anyway, his character is a seemingly hopeless case. He's uh, transferred uh, to uh, Volcano High, this uh, school for the, only the most supernaturally gifted martial arts uh, students. Uh, Uh, when uh, rival school groups vie for possession of an ancient manuscript that will give them ultimate power, a group of elite super teacher aim to regain control any way they can. Can Kyung So find the strength within to face the ultimate lesson? His character is told to rein in his uh, his violence and practice uh, practice uh, abstinence from violence, I suppose. Uh, so uh, it's a uh, very much classic martial arts tropes. Uh, Uh, scattered about the place but uh, we certainly get to that uh, I ordered a uh, DVD from the UK that had uh, interviews with the director and so forth but I never received it in time for the show so I'm going to ask this do we know if director of Volcano High Kim Taekyun walked into this you know wanting to draw inspirations from the likes of Japanese manga or any other specific cultural phenomenon because when you watch Volcano High you certainly get the impression that this was an idea you know it it, it seems like it was made for this film and not based on a comic but it really is comic book in style so I think it's a bit of both and this is just conjecture on my part if you look back then At, at other action films. Yeah, there were action, there was fighty, fighty, there, there was even martial artsy, but not on the, the level of manga-ish, I guess, stuff. But at the time, you know, uh, Japanese manga was really popular in Korea. Japanese comics and, in, in fact, movies made from Japanese mangas were really popular, and they were copied in what became known as manhwa, which was the Korean version. So... I just, from my feeling, he's seen all the stuff. I mean, you look at the stuff that 
was going on around. You got friends, you got beat, all, all these high school, you know, violent, this, that, and the other. And I think he just wanted to put a comic tone to it. And I think he's just done a generic idea and written it, but under inspiration from what was so popular in youth culture at the time. And this is a film that's aimed at the youth. Let's be completely blatant about it. Hello everybody, Ken here, clumsily inserting myself into the conversation post main recording. I eventually did get that UK DVD of Volcano High and director Kim Taekyun was interviewed exclusively for it and added more biographical notes and production notes regarding Volcano High that we didn't have when we recorded. So I thought I'd share them here. So first a little background about how he got into studying films. His first year in high school, he fell for film studies after having watched Lee Manhee's Road to Sampo that we've covered here on the show. And from that point, it felt like film had to be studied, not just be your entertainment tool. He had studied literature, but it did speak to him as much as compared to film did as he discovered it, the magic of it. He had to study politics at the urging of his family though but he eventually studied uh, started studying at the Korean Film Academy. He wasn't young necessarily when he made his debut film. He was uh, 36 uh, there at the end of the 90s and Volcano High was his third feature. And just like a latter film of his, he found the script through a script competition um, although it wasn't in finished formed yet. It was a treatment. But he started to develop the story from there drawing inspiration from manga-like actions in his own words. But at that stage in development, Korean cinema wasn't ready to deliver technically on the premise of Volcano High. Cost would be too great to realize this action and effects mixture, and therefore it would be hard to find an investor. But as years passed, the situation changed, the market changed, and a production was ready to be mounted at the beginning of the millennium. On a 45 million won budget, excluding marketing, but uh, Kim predicted... Originally, it would have been around 28 million, but that uh, grew larger or really had to grow larger because because it was really due to the increased wire action in the film and post-production effects and the time it would take to complete those elements. And that, that required extra money. And Kim did feel quite a responsibility and pressure in making Volcano High being, you know, Korea's first big venture into this much wire action. And it didn't feature... A lot of that kind of action in their movies compared to what Hong Kong filmmakers did or did in the past. I, I got the impression watching the interview piece he wanted to avoid importing an action director from Hong Kong for fear of coming off as copycats. So he assembled a Korean martial arts team to handle uh, the stunt coordinating and choreography to try and design something unique even if that added time to the schedule because it was all new to them and this production was quite straining on the staff and the cast uh, because they were in such an unusual situation for a local film. And this included the direction of the actors and their manga-like uh, actions. This wasn't easy to adapt to necessarily. That was also quite new for a Korean film, the acting style. And trying to decide on and catch the tone properly was challenging across a long shoot. He worked with a talent pool also that wasn't all martial arts able or had that on-screen experience of performing martial arts for film, such as Hong Kong performers did in the 90s and so forth, so that was a challenge. But he got praise from Hong Kong producers such as Bill Kong and Japanese teams saying, it's familiar, but it's truly something new. It's a new mix of Hong Kong and Japanese influences, but with Hollywood special effects on top of it. 
And Kim Tae-kyun even uh, talks about uh, being con- contracted to develop a uh, US remake of Volcano High. But he does hesitate to say, I feel like there's too much to pursue here in Korea at the moment. I mean, this was in 2003 or 2004 because the DVD came out uh, in 2004. So, I mean, that never happened, that remake. And uh, Kim Tae-kyun uh, pursued uh, pursued his work in Korea and did, and did some co-productions in the future as well. Okay then, back to the original uh, recording and more info for you kind people. I even actor Jang Hyuk, because uh, I saw um, a rip from uh, the DVD interview he did, he studied uh, the exaggerated expressions of both the Japanese comic books, but, but certainly movies as well, to get some idea of where the director wanted him to go and uh, the sort of extent of uh, exaggeration and expression. Boy, does he do it, and then some. Of course, of course. He even does red in one scene uh, when he's uh, experiencing pain. His face turns red. So it's it's, it's a live-action comic book in um, and even a cartoon in many ways. So we're in a Korean cinema climate here that was enjoying its first big international wave. I mean, it lasted years, of course, and it's still enjoying, yeah. obviously, uh, success globally. But um, it generated fandom and critical acclaim and ripples via so many genres, whether it was drama or grounded action or special effects enhanced action. And I suppose Volcano High, you know, it uh, wanted to go for this uh, special effects artistry whether the industry was ready for it or not. It wanted to go for this hyper-enhanced martial arts reality. So again, we're in 2001. I mean, was this movie very alone in its special effects martial arts thinking? Or was Korean cinema pushing action and effects spectacle like this, whether successfully or not? It was alone in terms of the extent it used it. I mean, it was a burgeoning thing, but, you know, films would have tiny little bits of special effects that were used to increase realism rather than push things to an extreme the way it's done in Volcano High. Things were very, very realism-based, especially in action films. Yes, you'd get wire work. Yes, you'd get, you know, flying ninjas. I mean, we've already said beat. We had the My Wife is a Gangster thing. Gangster things were huge. Guns and Talks, more gangster things. They all involve choreographed, impressive feats of energy but in terms of the supernatural idea and using special effects to do that it it was kind of new i mean we'd seen things like this before and way back in thousand year old fox when it was brand new you got wire work and some special effects or as good as they could but in terms of korean cinema becoming that thing and now we've got things like along with gods and all that which are just cgi spectacles things have changed a lot it was not like this in 2001 and i think that's a big part of why volcano high has always stood out as being considered a classic of the time because it was pushing the boundaries regardless of how successful it was throughout and i think it is quite successful at it throughout at, at this time though and maybe across those years the those years close to 2001 would the commercial success of movies you know, across the Korean cinema landscape, mean increased focus on uh, the budget towards special effects uh, houses in Korea, or were they still hesitant to push special effects and CGI, despite being a you know a very profitable type of cinema, both domestically and internationally? I mean, what you've got to remember about Korea is for a, a long time in its cinema, 
money was really a big, big issue. You even go back to just, what, six years ago, seven years ago to films like The Tower, and you listen to the cast and crew talking about the special effects they did in that, and they're they're so upset because they did they couldn't afford to do it the way they wanted to. If you go back to 2001, nobody had any money. Nobody. So they were really, really pushing smaller films that seemed big but were actually quite closeted, I guess. Yes, there were action. Yes, there were relationship things, everything else. But it was very un-CGI, un-special effects because it just wasn't advanced enough. I mean, here they needed to find, uh, I think, solutions to perhaps mask yeah, the the budget of the effects. I mean, uh, the, the, it is a green screen movie in, in many ways, yeah. but uh, they use a muted color palette and elements such as rain, and uh, it's not uh, out and about in sunshine, and therefore the outlines of the green screens are that visible. So they use elements to perhaps cover up some, uh, you know, uh, some things that would make it not immersive and i think they do pretty well in that regard because uh yeah yeah i i think they do and what you know from my point of view you look at any real country that's that's gone further and further into special effects and at some point you look at the early stuff you'll always see stuff based on water because that's where they sort of learnt their thing and and all of the big sort of effecty things in this are sort of based around water. They're droplet-based, they're, they're puddle-based, and I think that was them trying their best to produce something really effective that they knew that they could do without being ashamed of. And I think I think they did okay at it, but I think it was a lot harder for them than you might imagine from watching what they did. For sure. I mean, regardless, the film broke the top 10 of uh, highest grossing films of the year in Korea, where it had 1.6 million admissions, and this was during a year when Local releases held such regarded films as My Sassy Girl, Friend, Guns and Talks, My Wife is a Gangster, etc. So not too shabby to break uh, the top 10 amidst uh, what is considered just a range of classics. Like um, uh, I recently got uh, Guns and Talks. I haven't seen it because uh, I got my sort of Jiang Jin fix and start with like welcome to dong mackle uh his writing totally, and, totally. that. and uh and i heard good things about guns and talks uh but regardless if it's uh, if it's not perfect all throughout it's got those guys it's got jang jin and um it's uh, gonna be fun to see it for the first time so like all jang jang stuff it's it's memorable even if you're kind of aware of what the story is going to be about from from the outset it's it's good it's funny it's action-filled it's it's a really enjoyable film that he should be proud of even if it's not close to the level of welcome to dogma call because i just adore it i mean i i I found those figures but it's harder to find uh, other figures so you know was the likes of friend the top grocer that year or what did the top five look like in 2001 it is really hard to find the figures what what you ultimately find is that domestically friend was the biggest hit very, very closely followed by things like My Sassy Girl, which some people apparently didn't like all that much. That would be me. My Wife is a Gangster and the series of those films that all came from the the feistiness of My Sassy Girl. So she was important, even whatever. But, but if you look sort of internationally as well, My Sassy Girl, My Wife is a Gangster, feeling they, they blew the roof off Friend and everything else. So it depends on... Whether you're talking about domestically, yes, they were all 
clumped together, really. Internationally, My Sassy Girl, My Wife is a Gangster blew the, blew the roof off. Just in the same year, there were other very feisty comedy films like High Dharma about a group of monks that are a group of criminals that hide out in a monastery, etc., etc. You've seen it all before in US stuff. But those were the sort of things that people were grabbing. The youth in terms of cinema audiences were starting to equal what had previously been mostly middle-aged women, really. Those things really appealed to them, so they all became really popular. And it's kind of why Volcano High got that popularity, because as I say, it's aimed directly at this new youthful audience. And I think a lot of that is why Kim tae chose to write this and direct it and turn it into what it was. So back to director Kim Tae-kyun, he was not new on the Korean cinema block. Um, He had directed a short film as early as 1987, so he was not one of those uh, new punks that came in and uh, blew the roof off the uh, Korean cinema climate uh, with his first movie. Uh, But he made his feature debut in 1996 with the movie The Adventures of Mrs. Park, and followed that up in 1998 with First Kiss, and in 2001 Volcano High followed. So for someone like this director Kim Tae-kyun, who directed such hyper-stylized material in 2001. What was the prior features like? We've, we've done a lot of these podcasts together, and, and everybody that listens to them now knows that I'm obsessed with depictions of women in Korean cinema and how they've changed over the years. We've talked about how Kim Ki-young described women you know, asserting their sexuality or having adulterous affairs, calling them despicable women. The film that Kim Tae-kyun did in 96, The Adventures of Mrs. Park, is one of the most important films in terms of depictions of Korean women in Korean cinema since the war and right up through the new Korean cinema wave. The reason being that up to it, every despicable woman, every woman who you know, looked after their own sexual desires, etc. in the film, was punished at the end. That was the deal. You, they did what they did. They got punished. They either died or they, they lost their family or whatever. The Adventures of Mrs. Park was the first film in which a woman goes and has, let's say, adventures and isn't punished at the end. And it changed Korean cinema in terms of depictions of women forever. It's massively important. And it's it's funny, it's witty, it's much more what you would expect from a director doing a realistic, if tongue-in-cheek movie than something as, you know, way over the top as Volcano High. But that was his sort of deal. He was into relationships. He was into pushing feminine, femininity versus masculinity and the, the problems that Lincoln those things do. Um, you, you step after Volcano High, you get things like Temptations of Wolves, Millionaire's First Love, and they're all about love triangles, relationships gone bad, and you never know who's going to be punished and who's not. So that's his sort of thing. And, and Volcano High as such sits so far apart from it, you would find it hard to believe that it is the same director unless someone said, which we just have. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting because it, it, since he was the co-writer, obviously, this wasn't just a gun for hire, desperate for money type of situation. He probably yeah, totally. ha- had this in him to some degree and wanted to express his voice uh, to some degree uh, because uh, you don't need to be interested in only one thing as a person. So I'm sure he can be interested yeah. in the picture of women in film, but he also likes comic books. Totally. And I think I think, you know, the zeitgeist at the time, 
pushed him to think, well, let's let's step away from that for a little bit and hit what is going to be really popular because Volcano High is, let's face it, commercial in the extreme, probably even more commercial than his more controversial things. So I, I sort of get where he was coming from. And he has every right to step back and look back into the things that, that started and, and continued his career. He has since uh, Kim Taekyun, that is, uh, made about six or seven features, including 2008's Crossing, which we'll uh, come back to, um, 2010's uh, A Barefoot Dream, Innocent Thing in 2014, and also the same year the Chinese movie Bad Sister was something he had directed, which is an interesting experiment. Uh, considering Crossing was an awarded film, and it was also sent as Korea's submission to the Oscars uh, that year, we're talking 2008, uh, is this the high watermark critically and even commercially for Kim Taekyun, or what was the high points, possible low points even, of his trajectory post Volcano High? If you were to state your opinion, in, in my opinion, his high points. I've already said the Adventures of Mrs. Park. I, I read it hugely. Um, I think it is really vitally important. Temptation of Wolves, decent enough. Millionaire's First Love, yeah, throwaway-ish, but decent enough. A Barefoot Dream was nominated for um, an Academy Award. It didn't win. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but I understand why it was. And that's a high point, as was Crossroads, which, or The Crossing, excuse me, which was 2008. And I honestly think it deserved an award, even though it didn't get one. I think it deserved it more than than A Barefoot Dream. We're going to talk about Innocent Thing at a later stage. It didn't do very well. I, I read it all the same. I think it sums up what he does. And Sad Sister, well, it's he's collaborating with China now and he's trying to push himself forward again. I've heard good things about it. I haven't actually seen it, but it's it's meant to be a, a nice step forward. Yep, you never know how, you know, what type of freedom uh, an outside filmmaker is going to get in China because Chinese cinema can be calculated to a degree because censorship is what it is. And uh, you need to abide by certain standards. But, uh, you know, you never know. I mean, even back in the day, uh, if we talked uh, directly of my sassy girl, I don't have his name. It's Quack something or Quack something, I believe. Yeah, Quack Cho Young. Um, he wrote um, or co-wrote um, a, a Hong Kong movie for director Choi Hak. Um, or all, all About Women or All Those Women. I, I don't know. I didn't really like it. It was... A very odd comedy, and I like Choi Hak. I adore Choi Hak, but it really didn't land for me. Uh, but um, that was a, a neat little um, Korea meets Hong Kong experiment, and yeah, then yeah. obviously Taiwanese actor said Chu Chi starred in My Wife Is a Gangster Free, so he got a little crossover with Hong Kong and Taiwan and Korea there. So you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's neat when it happens, I suppose. Yeah. So uh, so hopefully that the Chinese movie um, that uh, Kim did um, is uh, something of note, but. Uh, I haven't seen it uh, personally. Uh, so, like any, like a number of Korean movies, regardless of the genre, there's running time differences across the world, and uh, that applies to Volcano High. It was uh, a two-hour movie originally, but also a 95-minute international version was prepared and can be seen on the Premier Asia Special Edition DVD from the UK. Uh, the extensive number of deleted scenes are, however, available as a supplemental feature. I haven't gone through it, but I have a feeling they might have reduced the uh, comedy to an extent uh, to uh, and tighten up the movie um, that way. But I haven't watched uh, both cuts nor uh, comparisons online, if there even are uh, comparisons online. 
in Japan, the international edit was also, was also distributed, but the rock music score by Park Young was replaced by an exclusive soundtrack by Japanese musician Daita. But it also had a rock music feel, so they didn't go, uh, they didn't take a left turn in terms of uh, the music. Uh, there's also an American edit of the film that was screened on MTV and released on DVD as well. It's structured more apparently as a parody dub rather than being the film's official English soundtrack. It uh, rounded up talents such as hip-hop artists uh, Snoop Dogg, Andre 3000 and Lil Jon out of Outcast, Mia or Maya, Method Man, uh, comedian uh, Tracy Morgan and Karate Kid's Pat Morita for the voice cast there. And they also removed about 30 minutes from the original uh, running time. I think it's more because the movie is like 81 minutes, so it's uh, closer to 40 minutes uh, shorter. Uh, the new soundtrack was also more hip-hop in style, so they, they ejected the rock music uh, soundtrack for that one. A prequel comic book uh, to Volcano High also came out in 2001 called Volcano High Prelude, uh, which at the time is uh, still available and affordable, and I believe it's translated into English as well. So you can get into it uh, if uh, that's uh, your thing, but I don't know if it focuses on the Jang-Hyuk character or is, um, you know, unrelated uh, to the main movie it might be maybe it's about the teachers who knows maybe it's about the great teachers battle or something like oh, that. the great teachers battle yes uh, but we're at the review stage here and uh, so let's do some brief opinions first of all of uh, Volcano High this was my first uh, viewing of it and I feel that this gets by quite well using the setting uh, how it sets up the universe of the, the school system teachers students trying to keep uh, them all in line but via the element of martial arts powers instead. Um, some of this heightened reality is rather fun and creative, and uh, director Kim Tae-kyun keeps the frame lively visually with uh, comedy and exaggerated visuals. But having said that, at two hours, it's a bit of a slow watch, uh, especially the second hour. And the main story thread kind of gets a bit lost and a bit sporadic during the second hour because of... Uh, you know it goes into different directions and you feel the length I, I think here's a case where the international cut might be the better experience uh, might be a bit tighter experience um, good first hour and then I got a bit antsy during the second hour and then it found a an action climax to keep us busy and then it was over so uh, so what did you think in a short of Volcano High? Way, way too long as you've said I appreciated it for its set pieces and it's it's a funny in parts a little bit over the top here not all of it works from my point of view but the whole thing for me is that the story is throwaway to an extent to almost being vacuous in parts and as such it just gets lost and for me i i ended up seeing it as set action pieces set choreographed pieces i i don't hate it i was interested to see it especially because i rated some of his later work but i think it's a classic because it happened to be at a place at a time rather than being one of the new Korean cinema classics that we all rave about. For me, the the highlight above all is looking at the phenomenal cast so early in their career. We've got Jang Hyuk, um, who we've already said was in The Flu, he was in The Client, um, he was in Windstruck with Junjian. He was in things called Five Senses of Eros, Searching for the Elephants, which by the sound of them, you're right, they're very, very controversial. Um, you've also got the lovely, lovely Shimina, um, who plays Ice Jays, and she has become 
hugely well known for a TV show called My Girlfriend is a Gummy Hole, where she plays a nine-tailed fox with an obsession for meat. Um, she was in A Bittersweet Life, sad movie, etc., etc. And she's become huge, but she's so young in this, it's just really fun to watch. Um, and the last two I'll mention, we've got Gong Ho Jin, um, who recently you maybe have seen in Doorlock, which is a, a star thriller. She was in Memento Mori, which is a classic. She was in Missing Woman, which again, really dark, dark thriller. She's really well thought of. She's moved mostly to TV now. Um, and finally, Byun Hee Bong, who plays the old assistant principal. And he is one of those faces that you just recognize him even if you don't remember who he is. He was in you know, numerous Bong Joon-ho movies, Barking Dogs, The Host, Memories of Murder, Okja, Cry and Fist as well. And this is, you know, 19 years ago. And he looks exactly the same, slightly older man as he does now. Such a cast for such a small film. It's worth watching for that alone. Yeah, it's neat, isn't it, that, yeah, you can be critical of a movie and it's not that terribly well-paced, especially for the second hour, but... Context, I think, matters if you follow a cinema's outline, development, uh, placing it, you know, in the context of when it was released amidst the movies it was released. Uh, you know, that matters. So you, you can be maybe even more harsh on a movie, but still feel like this was part of, you know, the ongoing journey of of a cinema. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. And, and an important part of that because it pushed things in directions that others followed even if it didn't do it directly did you remember watching this prior in its shorter version or have you always watched this two-hour version of it it's always been the two-hour version i know there was there was an international version which had i think 20 20 or so minutes out and, and all the reviews at that time said it was far tighter it was far better but I never got to see that. I think that must have been a, a state's release. It certainly wasn't in the UK. So well, the version... well, that international version did make it to the UK. That, that oh, was the okay. Premier Asia main feature. Uh, and then they had the, the deleted scenes as extras. So, so I was thinking because it was released in the UK, maybe you picked it up if it was cheap anyway, or cheaper. The version that I always got hold of or was able to get hold of was always, I think, two two hours and a minute. It sets the tone right away with this muted palette, but uh, being in a digital age, uh, to an extent, they, they do manipulate the visuals to be uh, quite different from scene to scene, but uh, there is a muted palette here. Uh, Kim utilizes a lot of tinted tilted angles, and uh, I suppose he's making fun of the Matrix uh, bullet time phenomenon, but having a chalk thrown at Jang Hyuk that he stops with his powers making it look like it's bullet time with a piece of white chalk that you use to write on a blackboard. And it, it sets the time, I suppose, uh, uh, sets the mood, I suppose. It's uh, a kind of a rock and roll movie. Uh, Anarchy, presumably, that character does what he likes, uh, but he is more reserved. Uh, Jiang Hyuk's character, as we have. Uh, as we uh, notice, and it also, also sets up well immediately that this is the universe where students have power. So it's uh, it's this martial arts almost, uh, if we talk a Hong Kong cinema term, like a Wu Xiaopian type of uh, setup where people can fly and uh, throw powers, energy bolts and what have you, and it rains all the time. <laughs> so that's the Korean cinema bingo, if you will, that the, the, yeah. 
this is trying to beat nowhere to hide in terms of the amount of rain uh, you know we got top angles and tilted angles and quick cuts and he's always on the move but it's not a terrible style that's lacking in confidence it's not we, we you know we, we we're not nauseous after having been subjected to this style it's um it, it's it's used in um in in a suitable way and a playful way as well because he throws captions on the screen you know when when jang hyuk has done his bad thing uh, pre-credits or just after credits you get a caption on screen boom expelled and it's kind of fun isn't it that uh, playful yeah. visual style or uh, because he, he he doesn't go rampant with it for two hours so I, I thought those instances were kind of fun where he we put he literally puts it on the screen kind of thing totally you know and and some of those early scenes are definitely the strongest they they make you want to carry on they do constantly remind you of the matrix i was reminded of the matrix right till the very last shot before the end credits because of a pair of sunglasses let's be honest about it it screams of it that's almost worthy that's almost that that just gives a giggle so it, it you know it works on that level certainly if they'd held the story a little bit more closely together yeah i mean it, 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 we'll get to it certainly but i i thought that it was painfully sporadic the thread of that group of teachers with powers trying to restore order in school that came and went too much for my liking all over the place all over the place completely you didn't have a sense of connection to that it's not a dramatic movie where you connect that way but you didn't have a connection to that it's playful in the way it sets it all up as i said like the school is in disarray the world has fallen but a chosen one will emerge to restore order i, f- I think that's you know a minor delight that it uses uh, you know action movie conventions and even martial arts conventions uh, like that and th- that it features characters that this is where the playful aspect comes in they're, they're students that talk like ancient warriors uh talking like uh loyal fellows of warriors like uh, the, uh, the character of dark ox that kim su ru plays and he plays him with gusto you know he he talks initially in his scene in his first scene it's a great day in the history of the five thousand year martial court like this is school what are you talking about but i found that rather delightful that this is the type of warrior here but what i also found delightful is that they're all part of school teams right they're part of the weightlifting team they're part of the kempo team they're still having to go to school despite being powerful persons which is a it created a little giggle a little giggle that hovered around the movie but it really need you really need to buy into the exaggerated acting and i I can imagine i didn't dislike him kim uh, so ro because i think he understood his role very well of the dark ox but you know is that a make or break situation for you the big acting for from for instance him in some cases it would be but not in this i think it it suits exactly what the director wanted from this um he wanted it to be way over the top and they all do a good job if you if you take kim suro in terms of him as an actor you look at him in this he's got long hair he's quite bruiserous he's really over the top if you look at him now um, he looks like, you know, one of the coiffed 
K-pop guys, very well done, blah, blah, blah. And he's had a huge career with great acting. He was in Kick the Moon. He was in Along with the Gods, which was, you know, hugely successful in terms of a CGI fest a couple of years ago. And he was even in Teguchi, which is about the Korean War, which is one of one of the most well thought of Korean War films of all time. And his acting was always just where it was. So, But knowing that, going in and seeing him being so over the top, I let him get away with it because it's clearly deliberate on both his part and the director's. He enjoyed that, I think, a lot. And I think that comes off on screen that he enjoys this and he works with the director to keep it within the frequency and range that they need to keep it in because it's it's dangerous to be that over the top. But I think he, if and out of all the cast members, I think he understood that role very well. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. In terms of Jang Hyuk, though, he, he's a character that you think is going to be dark and broody and he's gonna constantly try to display his powers but he's a goof he's kind of a goof <laughs> so, so what do you think of that sort of balance in the picture and that, that he goes against expectations a little bit uh, that he isn't this rebel this uh who is gonna from day one in his new school cause trouble he's um he, he isn't as cocksure as the opening suggests so uh, yeah. that actually truly truly worked for me you know the fact that when you first see him you assume he's going to be that image that you see on the cover of the the dvd of that you know the teeth out you know ready to launch you assume that's what he's going to be and you know he's he's being whatever he's being and as soon as he sees uh ice jade the character of shimina he just instantly falls in love and turns into a complete sniveling little nerd waving at her with one hand that worked for me i thought that was quite quite humorous and it let him get away with it a lot more i think it was nicely tongue-in-cheek that his character worked for me even more than than some of the others i mean he, he he's a nice reactor to his environment it's almost like he thinks what he sees is is nonsense like the, the these rude the rulers of the school they approach him the new kid and he almost looks like at them like what kind of behavior is this? Totally. I mean, I know we all have powers, but you don't need to be that silly about it. Uh, uh, but um, his powers ought to be feared, but he, he it, it's that martial arts trope of he's made a promise to his family. And uh, the director Kim, he doesn't get stuck in extended flashbacks or anything explaining all of this. He's quite efficient with just dropping little, little black and white, boom, boom, you need to be restrained. Okay. We get it. You know, it's uh, it goes back to Bruce Lee for heaven's sake in a big boss. He, he has a jade around his neck and that represents the promise to his mother not to fight. 45 minutes into the film, the jade breaks and then shit's on. So, you know, it's uh, not a distracting cliche at all. It, it feels familiar because you know what way it's going to, you know, it's that whole monomyth thing of the, the hero's journey, isn't it? Even if he's a little bit of an anti-hero, it just, it, you know what's coming, but it almost makes the the sort of fragmented way they do the narrative more bearable because you, you sort of know where it's heading anyway. I mean, the look of the movie suggests that it's going to be more stoic than it is. And that was my, at least my, my delightful surprise for at least an hour of the film, that uh, that, that it's filled with, uh, he, he's a bit of an imbecile every now and again, Jang Hyuk's character and these characters are, just ready and amped to go you you would think that this setting this look this stylization would be more serious and he, he's doing it in a way he's not sending 
sending it up completely. It's not airplane. It's not naked gun or whatever. But um, he, he's having uh, a bit of fun going against uh, expectations. It's just a shame that he loses the main, the very simple main thread of the movie. You know, when we get introduced to those, uh, that group of new teachers that's going to set things straight. They, they are so awfully sporadic, but, but the idea of them being uh, not teachers at all, we don't see them teach, we barely see any any, any uh, homework being done here, that they're, they're, uh, they're gods, they're security, they're martial arts able, conceptually very cool. And in the setting that, as I said, is very green screen centric at points. I think uh, they paste in, you know, top of buildings and things like that and um, put rain and clouds all over the place to make uh, the transition a bit smoothly. I like those contrasts of uh, stoic setting, partially silly characters and events. Uh, you know, it has a certain deadpan quality to it all, too, whether the old performance or the young performance, uh, uh, even though the thought humor isn't necessarily cl- classic. Um, but uh, they do, they go there. They go there. They go there more than, more than once. More than once. Uh, yeah, it, I, I totally agree. But, you know, you got to look at it from really an audience point of view. Yeah, I you know, I'm older, so... I'm having to switch back to thinking who this was aimed at, and it's aimed at young people and that anarchy, that whole school thing, them having special powers within this stoic, almost nowhere to hide-ish looking setup is just gonna, they're gonna have fun. And that's, that's, I think, what he was aiming for. And in terms of that, I think, I think he succeeded. He, he popped his audience. If you were, if you were a, a, a 16 17 year old kid you know you'd buy it you'd you'd gobble it up really no for sure i mean it's also martial arts um heavy to a degree or at least wire uh wire heavy i mean because because it it doesn't have a lot of hand-to-hand choreography you know if anything it has quick takedowns uh, on the wires you know some grappling uh, a kick or two some of the wire work is really rather impressive even though it is that sort of one-sided idea it, it very much is impressive, and I have some notes at the end of uh, the review from Jiang Hyuk's perspective, because he speaks of uh, th- that it was still a fairly new notion in Korea to do uh, wire work and this much wire work, re- uh, which resulted in some pain uh, during the making of it. Uh, but, you know, the flips and the bounces of walls, uh, it's uh, rather effective, um, and it looks fetching, and a lot is done by the actors as well. No, no obvious constant stunt. And, you know, that wave effect around the hands of the characters that represents them loading up their powers before throwing their Hadouken. Yeah. You know, it's repetitive, but in terms of the technical execution of that, I had zero problem with that because it's immersive enough. It's not set in downtown reality. It's a fantasy setting. And that stuff doesn't, you know, I, I, I've seen worse CGI done 18 years later or whatever. Totally, totally. So what do you think of that? Because it is really the calling card, the wires, and throwing the energy transparent balls at each other. So how do you think they execute that uh, sort of starring element? I, I think that was one of the film's very, very, very strong points. You know, I was really impressed with the intricacy of the wire work, the, the, the sheer energy of it it does the energy does scream out of you which is what you wanted to do because it's meant to be you know energetic fighting the cgi stuff 
yeah, you can, you know it's CGI. We're in 2020. But like you said, you know, I've seen movies two years ago where the CGI was as noticeable, if not more so, than what they were doing. Um, I think it works. I think it, it works in a simple form to get what it can across. Um, and I think, I think it is one of the strong points of the film. One of my favorite little giggles uh, continue to be um, those random title cards that the Kim throws on screen uh, uh, as a bookend to a fight scene between the different uh, teams in the school, the weightlifting, the Kempo team, that, that that ends up with the fighting amongst themselves. And when the scene is over, he throws a title card on the screen, meeting adjourned, <laughs> which is a nice little giggle. I also like one of the latter flashbacks to Jang Hyuk's uh, character, where you find out uh, why he needs to uh, suppress his fighting skills. They treat it as a little old-timey, scratchy movie. With uh, with a title of its own or a title card of its own, because what is, what is it? It said to describe him as he transitions into the flashback. It says something like a guy with powers that make him sad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's not like I don't think that's dodgy translation. I, I think it's playful. I no, think I it's, think that's uh, I think that's just deliberately tongue firmly in cheek, and let's go with that. And and I think yeah, you know, did, did, this is before I think the movie starts to tank a little bit. Uh, Mixing the playful with the stoic setting, as I said, is is one of the film's delights, and and the cost is up for this. I mean, uh, Jang Hyuk is, as I said, he uh, he he gets to work the uh, exaggerated expressions. At one point, he sits down on uh, on like uh, uh, spikes, and uh, he uh, turns to the camera, and uh, he doesn't shout in pain, but his face turns red. So it's uh, it's Bugs Bunny, it's uh, Wile E. Coyote, or um, you know, and uh, I don't mind the cartoony elements of it all because it never really Paul sets its sights on treating this as dramatically impactful or poignant either. Like th- these journeys of uh, you know needing to find his way, the Jung Hyuk character needing to find his way, but also actually being an active physical participant in this setting that's you know martial arts movie cliches but it's not treated as deadly serious stuff it's not melodrama it's not designed as melodrama and i think that's if he would have gone that route of actually asking us to have the feels for for his character i think that that would have been um, a clash a wrong wrong move yeah if we want to expand a little on why it doesn't work all throughout uh, uh, can you summarize it today or continue to elaborate on what, what is it he loses uh, track of uh, in, in the second hour if you will his story essentially isn't big enough you know he's got set pieces that he's lumped together with the search for a manuscript that will you know change everything and you've got the two main characters Jang Hook's character and and his essentially for the the large part opponent it's constant i'm better than you or i'm not going to fight i'm better than you or i'm not going to fight and it it gets repetitive and takes away from what little story there is i mean you you strip it down there isn't really a big story here at all you've got a principal has died the students have gone all over the place and a group are being brought in to settle it and it's all going to be changed with the discovery of this manuscript where that no one knows 
where it is or if it exists. That's that's the story. That's it. Full stop. Even the love line between Jankook's character and Shimina is just an also rant. So it's all down to set pieces, and in that respect, it works. But he lets little story that it is be almost pushed aside by that. And I think there's just a lack of balance. It doesn't. It doesn't flow. Yeah, I, I very much agree. I, I mean, that, that uh, at two hours, that plot thread gets a little lost amidst the humor and the visual quirks of the overacting. I mean, about two thirds in, I realized that we, we, we're stalled here. Um, it's forward momentum isn't there anymore. Uh, you know, and we get reminded, of course, like uh, the the suppression of. The students and uh, the teachers seeing the uh, the danger of the students uh, and uh, the uprising. It's there, but you miss it. It's in the back yeah. of your head, and it shouldn't be that far in the back of your head. You shouldn't totally. have to be totally. reminded of it that much. And, and I got a little impatient, to be honest. Just, uh, I mean, the, the 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 ending set piece doesn't remedy all of that. I mean, the ending set piece is. Is bad in some respects and good in other respects. And where it's bad is that the actual martial arts and weapons action, that's sparse, but it's not shot very well when they do make contact. And it's reliant on too many cuts leading up to kicks and strikes. Uh, but its action is more distinctive in the wire design. And in the one on one fight that concludes the film, the, you know, the mood that the that climax uh, is attempting uh, when combined with effects and uh, you know how the warrior rises unexpectedly at the end that's more fetching that they, it needs to have a big ending and it certainly delivers a big ending uh, it's not exemplary but it's it is its calling card and it uh, it it lives up to that uh, and delivers an ending i mean those transparent energy bolts constantly being thrown around here it's pretty alluring to a degree. It's uh, it's fairly exciting. Uh, as a fight scene, it's designed as an endurance test, but there is variety in the setting they're at, uh, and I think the momentum is pretty good for the end uh, fight. So by, by that point, I think the movie concluded uh, in a satisfactory manner, but you can't get away from at all from the fact that it, that it is 20, 30 minutes too long. Yeah, and I mean, the, the big problem for me... From the ending, you know, quite quite a way before the final showdown, you're aware that you're heading towards this final showdown and it takes too long to get there. And when we get there, it itself is too long. I appreciated it for what it was as a climax, but I, w- I was almost thinking, go on, get on with it, get on with it, um, just because it had been dragged out in the lead up too much. And the actual thing itself is way too long. It ends on a goof, though, which is uh, true to the movie spirit, I suppose. Uh, it uh, it was a nice time, nicely timed goof, I think, uh, uh, when he uh, you know when he tips over. Uh, so that was um, that was fun and a reminder of th- that playful performance. But uh, but yeah, it takes a while to get there. So uh, I don't know. I wouldn't really recommend the full version, to be honest. I mean, I haven't seen the short, but I have a feeling the short will retain. The essence, the essence, and the money shots, and uh, what you're there for, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it ever had a thorough, you know, solid reputation as a flawless two-hour movie. I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe this has always been its um, its flaw that it's um, that it is too long. But uh, but yeah, it, uh, yeah. It certainly is. We're, we're you, you and I call it. So a lot of people must have called it as well. As well that um, it's uh, it's indulgence in a way. Yeah, almost overindulgence, and I, I get 
why he did it, and I get that he was successful on one level, but it, it's almost to its detriment as well. I only have a, a few notes that I, I took from the uh, the the interview that Jang Hyuk appears in on the UK DVD. It was on YouTube, so while I was waiting for the DVD, I thought I'd watched the actor interview at the very least. So I, I have some notes from that, but I'm going to hand over to you to see if you want to share anything else from the movie. I'm pretty much there. Let's go with your little snippets. Well, he apparently trained in boxing for another film, but um, he had no experience uh, working on wires, though, the young actor uh, Jang Hyuk uh, in his early 20s by this point, I believe. Um, He lost consciousness uh, working the wires, being yanked and spun around about seven times during the shoot, and it, it was not like he was out for a minute. Those times, uh, he lost consciousness for over 20 minutes. So it was a tough wow. shoot on the young actor. Korea had not a ton of experience doing wire action and was no. they were looking to become more and more professional, of course, but safety measures still weren't p- perfect. And injuries were, you know, working the manual and maybe the automatic wire pulls because they, they had a system where, where a machine did a wire pull rather than uh, technicians. It resulted in multiple injuries across the cost. Uh, you, you can see a behind-the-scenes snippet of uh, Jang Hyuk uh, being kicked into a wall. And it requires an actor on wires coming to him and hitting his chest in a particular way. And, and in one shot, he hits him maybe in the neck, and Jang Hyuk just slumps immediately. And he's out. He's not out for twenty minutes, but he's out for a good minute before he. Oh, <laughs> wow! Uh, it, it really looks. Um, you know, if you hit uh, someone's neck or close to the chest in a fairly painful way, you know that that can take something. Take something from yeah. you, you know. So uh, your legs from uh, from underneath you. Jang Hyuk studied, as I said, Japanese animation to get a feel for the exaggeration this live action cartoon or or live action comic employs. Uh, he talks quite eloquently and about uh, you know how he took exaggeration from cartoon for cartoons for his uh, character, but also he was keen on making sure the development was done. Uh, in an understandable way because you, you can't do the same in a cartoon or manga and just transfer it to live. You need to you know, be attentive to the development too. To, so he, he couldn't just copy something. He needed to do something himself or get in sync with, uh, with the director. And to be honest, his working relationship with director Kim Tae-kyun wasn't always great. They weren't in sync always. Uh, he talks of them as being good, good friends or brothers, but brothers fight friends fight and it was more communication issue and trying to get on the same page that sometimes resulted in uh, tension and maybe shouting matches who knows so he describes director kim as sometimes easygoing sometimes difficult but he is professional about it uh, he, he isn't there to slag him off uh, he says that he considers him a great friend but um, he, he's honest about that it wasn't uh, easy every day to um, to get this done and I mean, if you're also physically, you know, it's a physically taxing role. Maybe you're not sometimes up for being cheery and happy and some, maybe sometimes you snap. And maybe the director himself is frustrated that uh, the wire shots aren't done in a satisfactory fashion because they are new at this stuff. So who knows? Uh, and it, I, would, uh, I would imagine that that makes for an insanely stressful situation all around. So you can, you can kind of understand. 
Uh, so it's recommended. I don't know if he sat down exclu- exclusively for the UK or if they just translated a, uh, an interview done in Korea years earlier. But uh, it's on the Premier Asia DVD. But I watched a YouTube rip of it for for this uh, research. And as for availability of Volcano High, it's currently not super easy to watch in its full-length two-hour version. And I, I didn't see any Blu-ray listings uh, anywhere. There were a variety of DVD releases back in the day that did maintain the complete length. You know, aside from the Korean special edition, of course, uh, but also the Australian DVD uh, had a full length, a Scandinavian DVD, which actually, if you can get it, is also English subtitled, uh, uh, which is the version we watched uh, from Asian Vision. And also the Dutch release is full length, while the UK Premier Asia edition featured the international cut at 95 minutes. But with deleted scenes available uh, as extras, uh, plus it also has a second disc of subtitled extras. Presumably, the uh, you know the behind the scenes stuff that was done for yeah. the Korean edition is now translated. So, and that is available and also cheaply. So, uh, you know, it's not even twenty quid anymore. So you can get it for maybe seven or eight, which is fine for a two disc special edition. You know? There you go. Yeah. Uh, Premier Asia was born out of Hong Kong legends. Uh, they uh, started to release Korean movies as well so that was a, a label that came out of um, hong kong legends back in the day so that is it um, we have a little bonus episode announcement because alongside this episode you'll also get a website exclusive uh, bonus episode uh, only on podcast on fire.com where we talk as much as can be talked of i guess mm-hmm. that mention mtv edit of volcano high starring no, the hot uh, hip hop artists of the day and comedians and actors uh, said to be a parody dub, uh, which might be tiresome 10 minutes in and therefore only 10 minutes of bonus content will be available from us. I don't know. I haven't we haven't seen that version yet. We're going to try and get it done. We're going to record it, obviously release it at the same time as you hear this. So we'll see what kind of discussion comes out of Volcano MTV's Volcano High. Yeah interesting if nothing else that's us for this episode for all your podcast on fire network needs including a back catalog of what's korean cinema go to podcastonfire.com subscribe to us on apple podcasts uh, stream us on spotify stitcher radio and all the social media links are available in the show post and also go to mondo-macabro.com to buy any of their releases including woman chasing the butterfly of death that includes our audio commentary we should plug the other release you were involved in as well behind the scenes uh, or was it uh, suddenly suddenly at midnight that, that's right the prior blu-ray release that paul worked on interview questions and helped out with some uh, straightening out of uh, cast names and things like that so um all all fun and all stuff that I'm quite proud of. So. Yeah, excellent. And they're, they're, they have a wide appeal, Mondo Macabro's uh, label, because they do Italian movies and maybe Spanish movies. And uh, ho- hopefully they will turn with some Korean movies in the future and uh, hopefully will be um, welcomed uh, back into the fold, if you will. So because Fingers we're, crossed, yeah. It's a, a very nice uh, working relationship and all of that. So good, good, kind, fun people. So... That is us for this episode. Uh, we'll be back with What's Korean Cinema 51. Uh, and uh, we might as well say that it's another film by the director. That is the complete opposite, I suppose, of Volcano High. It's set in a school. That's about as much it shares with Volcano High. So ne- next episode will be a Kim Taekyun um, joint as well. So we'll uh, 
will simply ask you to keep an eye out for it. And in the meantime, I've been Kenobi talking Volcano High with Paul Quinn of HangolCelluloid.com. So say goodbye, buddy. Take us out. See you soon, guys. Yeah.